You ever wonder why we're here? To kill our enemies before they have a chance to betray us! Okay, no more coffee for you. Good lord. We are RVB Recall. We are having a grand old time out here in the time stream. And of course, we are looking at Red vs. Blue, Season 17, Episode 9, Succession. I'm Katie. And I'm Megan. Hey, everybody. And we're going to talk about why you should not be possessing other people's armor and uh, one of the single most heartbreaking scenes in this whole damn show so far, or at least this whole damn season, why do you do this to us, you dicks? So let's get the ball rolling. We pick up where we left off with uh, Tucker having to deal with Chorus again, specifically having to deal with Felix acting like he's the good guy. I was actually amazed at how quickly he went into get stuff done mode. Like, I thought he was going to be a little shell-shocked for a bit, being brought back to this moment in particular. But no, nah, he immediately starts going, okay, what's different? And I was really impressed with that. I wonder if Huggins didn't warn them, like, all right, it's this point in your timeline, it looks like this is what's going on, so that they'd show up and at least have a vague idea of, all right, I remember what was going on here. This was, oh, this was dealing with this bullshit and this asshole who betrayed us all. Yeah, that guy. And I do appreciate the twist in this one being Gankins being in Dos Pointo <laughs> and doing a terrible Spanish accent in a British accent. <laughs> yeah, that's kudos again to the actor playing Gankins because there i think it's i think it's both probably really really fun for him this season but also like an instance of vocal gymnastics because i mean they're they're basically saying okay in character you're possessing this person and this is the reference for that character's voice so do your character doing an imitation of that character and Honestly, I think after a little while, I wouldn't know what was up or down anymore. <laughs> what does Genkin sound like? I feel like this is just yes and cranked up to 11. That's that's what this is. And yeah, he does such a good job. I I specifically love, hey, hey, Genkins. Okay. I mean, but what? No. How do you keep finding <laughs> just Just the actually answering in Spanish and then going, wait a minute. Like, this was all really fun. I also really appreciate Jason being the one to say, your accent was terrible. I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Just, just personally. <laughs> Since my last name is Salinas, I really appreciate that. Does it bother you when he says things like Hasta Luigio? <laughs> I rewatched a chunk of... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I rewatched a chunk of Nomad of Nowhere the other day, and uh, yeah, that I had forgotten about that joke, and that made me just laugh my ass off. So this is the Hasta Luigio of this season. 
Yeah, total sidebar. Uh, for anybody who's not watching Nomad of Nowhere, go change that. It's on the website that you're watching Red versus Blue, so go change that. Um, that Asta Luejo moment gave me such life because that's exactly what I had been saying all friggin' season. But anyway, that's a discussion for another day. Go watch Nomad. Yeah, seriously. It, it'll take you like three hours tops, and it is... It is 12, 10 to 15 minute episodes. So three hours is a generous estimate. But yeah, yeah that's only about how long it is so far. And yeah, that's, that's Nomad of Nowhere. We are, uh, we're still talking about red versus blue, but Rooster Teeth animation. Making rainbow gestures over here. I do love that right after this whole, how do you keep finding me in this humorous bit, this episode straight up shows us what kind of episode it's going to be because it's like, hey, remember this fight at the end of season 11 that was really upsetting? You want to watch the whole thing again? Well, here it is. Just like about the only thing that we didn't witness was Freckle Shake. Like this one, they went for it. They did. And oh man it is so bizarre going back to this moment knowing Felix is a traitor knowing that he and Locus are on the same side because again it's been a while since I've watched the chorus trilogy and so going back to that moment with a character who is aware of the dramatic irony of the situation it is bizarre but it's also really cool and from a completely meta perspective I kept yelling kill him cause a paradox <laughs> well you weren't the only one for one I was doing it too and for another Genkins decides that he's going to play shoulder devil when we kind of have the uh, the come down from this scene and the that's war not everyone makes it back a bit Jenkins decides he's going to get into the AI slot of Tucker's armor and be like, hey, you should totally murder this guy and attempt to sweet talk him into it. And Tucker, God bless him, has maybe not has not figured out that he should maybe mute his helmet radio. So his half of the conversation is uh, definitely broadcast to Felix, who is probably convinced that this guy is just fucking crazy at this point. But yeah, we we get to see Tucker having this development and having this realization that I think we've kind of been waiting on for the past two and a half seasons for him to realize that, oh, he thought he was acting like a leader and he thought it was being macho and manly and whatnot. And remembering that, oh, no, being a leader on chorus was being scared as hell and second guessing yourself all the time and making decisions anyway. Now, part of it that he didn't say and that I think he probably knows and that we all know is that part of that is taking responsibility for the consequences of your actions and your decisions. And that's another thing that we saw him learn on chorus when Cunningham got killed as a result of his decisions. So, yeah, deep pulls from someone who hasn't watched that season in literal years. But I really appreciated Tucker giving Gankins this talk and essentially coming back into his own and coming back into what made him him on chorus and that development that he had and also realizing that yeah Donut has been stepping up more than pretty much all of the rest of us and it's hard to do um yeah this this moment was an excellent moment for Tucker I I've 
I've definitely defended the narrative choices over the past few seasons. I know a lot of people didn't like it, but for for anybody who wasn't on board with the direction that Tucker's character took in the last few seasons, this must have been super gratifying. It was. (laughs) And as somebody who defended those choices, I got to say it was a very gratifying moment for me, too. Um, That being said, I did want... I, I did notice a potential parallel this time around. When Donut goes down in the fight, correct me if I'm wrong, was that a direct result of Felix? I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised, though. Like, you know, things start going south, and to me, and maybe maybe I'm misinterpreting how this was filmed in uh, in the in the game but like to me it looked like things started going south Felix pulled a south <laughs> and then you know knocked out Donut or, or shot Donut something so that Donut was down cried oh no they got Donut retreat and then you know peace out of there am I incorrect in that assessment we we watched this episode twice and that's how I interpreted that I honestly wasn't paying close enough attention to that particular bit to say one way or another. I will say that would not surprise me in any capacity, given what we know about Felix and given that we know you can get away with a whole lot of shit in the heat of battle. Like, that would not surprise me at all. Yeah, doesn't that just seem like such a Felix move? <laughs> um, but I, I found it to be an interesting parallel because Felix, if I'm interpreting this right, and maybe Donut was just hit by something else in the crossfire or whatever, but if that was Felix, I think it's a very interesting parallel because a lot of the Chorus trilogy kind of did focus on Felix and Tucker's dynamic and how they differ as leaders and as friends. Um, And in this moment... You know, after Felix yells retreat, we have Tucker there talking with Lopez. And then Tucker does the exact same thing to Lopez to ensure that things end up exactly the way they need to, um, you know, by the time he has to leave. See, and for me, this scene with Lopez is telling because of that comment, I didn't see you there. That whole, I didn't notice you were there. I forgot you were there. Thank you. We just watched this episode. It's not a quote I wrote down, so my brain's like, that's the gist of it. It's fine. Um, I think that was there for a reason. And it's skipping ahead a bit in this episode, but I do think the whole idea of Lopez going by unnoticed for so long by so many people is going to work in their favor in the larger plot. Because keep in mind that right now, during all of this, we're going to set things right. Lopez, having only stuck around to hear part of Donut's explanation, took his time-traveling self back to the beginning of this timeline and is living events through sequentially as they come instead of doing the abridged targeted strike version that the rest of the Reds and Blues are doing, which means he's probably not at the uh, moment of the main paradox of Wash getting shot at the same point in time that everyone else is, which means he's not frozen in that moment along with them once Gankins freezes it. I think that Lopez, of all people, 
is going to wind up being our ace in the hole here because he's off on his own doing his own thing and going unnoticed. I think that's an excellent theory because I think you kind of nailed it in terms of the word unnoticed because that seems to be sort of what the last couple seasons of Red versus Blue have all been about and this season in particular it's giving the spotlight to characters that keep getting overlooked in the grander narrative in the Blood Gulch Chronicles you know Donut was definitely a character Donut and Doc were were definitely characters that got overlooked and even more so when things got serious Um, as much as I love season six it does neglect characters like Tucker and Donut and Doc and yeah we get to see them come back but like you know Doc disappeared for like three seasons like maybe two and no one noticed he was literally in a dimensional hellscape and no one noticed so I think making him a main antagonist last season needing a redemption arc this season I don't know if they'll go that route um, making Donut the chosen one last season and making him the the sort of de facto leader this season. Like, these are all very intentional choices. And same with giving Griff all the development that he's gotten over the last two seasons. Uh, these are all characters that, for one reason or another, either didn't care about the main plot going on for years and years or avoided it or were ignored by it. And so I think Lopez coming to sort of save the day here at the Paradox at the very end is a really solid prediction because he's one of those characters. In much the same way that he gets Locus's attention and saves the day two seasons ago. Like, yeah, I think that's what we're going to have. Whether or not Huggins is going to be joining him, whether or not she winds up in this moment in time as well, or is able to see what's going on and go find him because he's the only one displaced from this moment, we'll have to see. Because the rules are different with Huggins. And we don't know if she's affected, how she's affected, any of that fun stuff right now. We're going to find out next time, I guess. Higher beings, bitch! <laughs> Yes. Yes, yes. Not speaking of higher beings in any capacity and getting back to where we were, I loved Sarge's like, what's it mean when things go out of focus? And just the sheer judgment in Donut's tone of it means you made a paradox. Like, oh, I'm going to go take care of something completely unrelated to this. Bye. Like, what did you do? What did you do? Donut got to do the disappointed dad voice that's normally reserved for Wash, (laughs) and I kind of love it. Donut has been on fucking fire this season, and I cannot get enough of this. I'm enjoying it a lot. Speaking of Donut being on fire, for one, learning how to accept a compliment, maybe, from Tucker, and for another, going to talk to Gankins, Gankins pretending to be the meta- And basically saying, hey, you know, Krovos isn't going to give you what you want. Are you really sure this is the right path for you? Like, you know, this isn't going to end well for you. And Gankin's bailing and leaving him with the meta. I do love that we had two different growls going on with and without Gankin's. Like, I appreciated that a lot. 
Yeah, I mean, we've given the Rooster Teeth sound team a lot of credit in the past, um, particularly for shows like Nomad of Nowhere, uh, and where it, it's kind of essential for a particular character emoting that didn't make much sense the way I said it. Uh, but it makes it's it's the noise, the sound design in that series is central and I feel like in more action oriented shows or more dialogue heavy shows um, sound can often be overlooked but it is an integral part to literally any show and so uh, yeah special shout out to them because it's those little touches that really make a difference and yeah like friggin donut man first of all that whole scene with Tucker super essential because uh, you know just two episodes ago Tucker was being like mm, are we sure Donut's like qualified Donut and Caboose are calling the shots are, are we sure we're not in a paradox like yikes dude yeah so I think him g- being face to face with Felix and then like coming to this realization about where he was lacking in leadership and versus when he actually was acting like a good leader. Yeah, I, I think that was really good for him to see and then being able to bestow that compliment because it's it's one thing to learn a lesson and it's a different thing to sort of put it into action. And this is a group of characters who kind words aren't their default love language. <laughs> like it's not. Like even when, when uh, Tucker and Epsilon made up, like – it was very, very short. It was very brief. And then they went back to ragging on each other uh, because that is the language of how of their friendship. That's how they communicate with one another. So Tucker actually taking the time to be like, hey, take the compliment <laughs> actually really does mean a lot because that's not how he usually communicates his feelings. Yeah, and I think kind words are Donut's love language. So Tucker figuring out how to speak it for a bit and Donut just not knowing how to handle that is just beautiful. I love it. I love it. And now I have to wonder what the love languages of all the other characters are. Well, Griff is obviously with food. Yeah. <laughs> Griff doesn't share food. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we'll talk about love language with two other characters very specifically soon, I imagine. Um, um, right now. Well, no, I, I, the only other thing I wanted to say about this moment was um, Donut being face-to-face with Genkins slash the meta. I think that's very telling, too, because the meta is a lot of fans' favorite villain in this series. Um, he's certainly the most imposing, I think, singular soldier this series ever created. Um, maybe that's debatable. But it's Donut, who is by far the most kind of feminine character in the show, or at least feminine coded character in the show, facing down the literal, you know, the literal scariest thing this show has ever delivered, I think is also very telling because he's he's afraid of the meta as we see at the end of the season at the end of the of the scene but he's not afraid of Genkins and in fact he actually kind of feels for Genkins and this says a lot to his strength as a character in terms of empathy too because he's like look do you really think she's gonna give you what what you want 
The fact is, no, she only cares about herself. And he says that as somebody who's been betrayed by Krovos. Yeah, pointing out that she used and then lost O'Malley. And I would also like to point out that you'd have to be crazy not to be afraid of the meta in some capacity. <laughs> and I say that knowing full well who partnered with him that one time. Yeah. But before we hit our next talking point, a word from our sponsor. RVB Recall is sponsored by Fred's BS. Breads and spreads by Fred. Fred's BS is an L.A. local one-man baked goods business that offers unique flavors in small batches. Whether you're looking for homemade jams, brownies, blondies, or brown sugar buddies, the best cookies you've ever had, Fred's BS can provide. All products are made in small batches with fresh ingredients, nothing is ever frozen, and Fred provides a plethora of flavors that can't be found in stores, like the aforementioned brown sugar buddies or his strawberry peach paradise sunrise jam. Also, if you're L.A. local, you can choose pickup instead of delivery and get your goods even sooner. Head to fredsbs.com and use coupon code THEROOSTERTEAM for 20% off your entire order. That's fredsbs.com, F-R-E-D-S-B-S.com, and coupon code THEROOSTERTEAM, team with an M. Fred's BS, treat yourself, because you deserve it. So, let's talk about Wash and Carolina. Yeah, let's talk about the other heartbreak that this episode was gearing us up for. Because last episode and this episode are all about, all right, we're sending you back to different places. Here's the places where the paradoxes are that need to be fixed. So we saw pretty much everyone going somewhere except for these two. We finally cut to them, and there's no mission at the current time and place where they are. They're just there to have a conversation because it's going to be Wash's job to fix the last paradox, him getting shot. So just them talking about what's been going on and our lives have been fun and I think of you like a brother. Well, your siblings were all kind of crazy AI, so I'm good with being friends. Just stuff like that. And then, yeah, there's, there's no mission here. I just wanted to talk. We have to go fix the paradox after this. And just this whole conversation having the opportunity to say goodbye to Carolina and also I think on Wash's part looking for a little reassurance like cerebral hypoxia can be managed it's a small price to pay for the universe right like this is a guy who's gearing up to go purposely get shot in the throat not an easy thing to do I would imagine no I imagine it's not an easy moment to relive um this this was beautiful. And at, at the very beginning of this season, Jen and Shannon were like teasing on social media about how awesome what they had to work with this season was going to be. And this is it, man. This this mo like I'm I'm tearing up just talking about it. This is one of many in this season so far between the two of them that have been amazing. Oh, yeah. No, the, the vocal work from both of them in this scene. Oh, my gosh. It's utterly devastating. The raw emotion in Carolina's voice. Like, you know, earlier this season, Donut said, you know, it's the closest I've ever heard her come to crying. And it's very, very clear in this moment that she is. And it's utterly devastating. And the warmth that's in his voice when he says, hey... You know I love you, right? Uh, <laughs> Shannon, what are you doing? You're killing me, man. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what he was going for. 
Because that's just like, oh, just like, oh, oh, leave me here to die. Why don't you? Holy hell. And her needing that moment to just gather herself before she follows him to the paradox. But this was so good. And even if you don't, even if you don't, if you're not like a car wash shipper, like they, they make it very clear at the top of the scene, like, oh, I love you like a brother. You know, you're like a brother to me. You could very easily just, that's one of the beautiful things about this is that you could look at it from the romantic angle or you could look at it from the platonic angle. And it doesn't matter, honestly, because these are two people who love each other. It doesn't matter what kind of love you want to define that as. These are two people who love each other, who've been through so much together. And this is ultimately the moment, the last normal, quote unquote, moment that they're going to have together before, you know, before life goes back to sort of the way it was. Although at least from here on in, Wash will know everything that's happened and will hopefully be a little more conscious of, oh, wait, I'm doing the thing again, aren't I? Like, it's going to be rough, but something something knowing is half the battle G.I. Joe etc etc we'll see part of me is still holding out that they might find some way to quote unquote fix this and part of me is wondering if they could manage to do that without it being cheap or weird like I I don't know if they could how they could what they could do I have no idea um, that's a good question because we, we've talked a lot of this season about stakes and the importance of maintaining them. And you don't always need to put the universe at stake in order to make, in order to have that sense of tension and drama in your show, a lot of times you can just scale it back to the personal. And that's what, what's really interesting about this particular season is that yeah we have all in time and space at stake but is it time and space that you and I are concerned about no it's it's how it's the ramifications that it has on our characters and their dynamic and that's that's a good show because there are shows that where it's like honestly like big overarching stakes like oh the universe is at stake can feel really cheap if you don't care about the characters the universe is at stake yeah that that's nice this isn't a universe i care about exactly it's it's so yeah it's like okay well why should i care about this world if i don't care about the people in it and so you need characters and you need those interpersonal stakes your characters don't always have to be saving the world in order to make your your series or your story interesting. And it actually took me a long time to to kind of come to that realization um, when I was in my early 20s and I kept thinking about what made stories interesting. And I used to think it had to be, everything had to be larger than life. Everything had to have the world at stake. And then it's like, no, scaling it back and telling the story of two people who care about each other but ultimately, you know, tragedy is going to seep its way into their life. Like, that can be just as, if not more compelling than a story where a group of people have to save the world. And this is why, when you look into fan fiction, things like the coffee shop AU and the college AU and the whatever, like, 
AUs where it takes them out of the giant world-ending stakes and puts them in something maybe a little less world-ending but potentially just as dramatic are so popular because you're working with the characters and you've built these characters that these people care about so much that they want to see how it happens in other settings as well. And the proms tomorrow! <laughs> I was thinking more in terms of someone's ex shows up with a vendetta. (laughs) Um, But regardless, like this series is doing a really good job of balancing the high concept sci-fi stakes and how that affects our characters on an interpersonal level. And this moment between Wash and Carolina was just absolutely beautiful. And it killed me. And I'm going to watch it again (laughs) Uh, the next time I need a good cry. That's for sure. It's always good to have something in reserve for when you need a good cry. I have an Undertale video for that, actually. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, It's a thing. So yeah, we uh, we cut back to our villains and Gankins's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad timeline as he shows up to Grandma Dearest and everyone gets a little shirty. Like, I do enjoy Krovos just being awful here. The whole, oh, my second favorite companion. No, I've known the silence of uh, capti- captivity for longer. Just stuff like that. And her thing about just wanting time to be over, not worrying about cause or effect, and just having that nice little core of time and bathing in it and not worrying. It was was this very, very poetic bit. And I love that it ended with, but I no longer need that orgy because you have thoroughly fucked me. (laughs) Like, I like that. That is some solid-ass wordplay. But this is a whole lot of, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Well... I can't, things are against us, and I don't have the level of power needed. So this breakdown ends with Genkin saying, well, you give me all of your power, even to the point where you won't be able to take it back. I go take the Shizno out behind a shed and have someone murder them, break the timeline, you get your powers back, and then we all live happily ever after, right? Right. And Krovos kind of likes this idea. And she also doesn't have much of a choice because they're both staring failure in the face. So she accepts and Genkins double-crossed her as we knew he would and just fucking bails. Now, I wanted to ask you, because this comes right on the heels of Donut basically saying, hey, you need to stop. You're outnumbered. Krovos doesn't care about you. This isn't going to work. You need to stop. So this comes right on the heels of that conversation. And, you know, obviously we can't see expressions. We can't see facial expressions in this show. Especially not on the meta. No. Um, But, you know, it's great because a lot of times you can infer what emotions characters are going through, even though you can't see their faces. And that's really excellent work in terms of the framing, the cinematography, the blocking, and the machinimating. The machinimating, you know, the actual animating on occasion. And uh, yeah, just the, the, they do a really good job working with the medium to convey that emotion, whether that's through dialogue or through the acting, et cetera, et cetera. 
that being said, there are cert- there are still lots of moments where you can't perceive what sort of care what sort of emotion a character is wearing on their sleeve, so to speak. So Genkin's walking up to Krovos, and then her basically giving him that verbal beatdown. I wanted to ask, Hat, do you think he had already made up his mind? to betray her before she betrayed him walking in? Or do you think that was a decision he made as soon as she said, but you have thoroughly fucked me? I honestly think that he was going to do it at some point anyway. And that donut speech was the catalyst for that. And yeah, I do think that he was going in with a mind to betray her and her saying that only cemented it. Like, well, this is my option here right now, and he's right, and she's not going to give me what I want, but I, oh, and she's being terrible. Well, fine then. I think there was a little bit of doubt with between him, like, walking through the portal and then her giving him that verbal beat down. Yeah, I think it was in the middle of her speech where he's like, yeah, no, we're done here. Because it's that it's the same realization that she comes to when he's tricking her. It's that, oh, we really are related sort of thing. Like, you ever get that moment where you see a relative who shares your character flaw doing that thing that you're like, oh, no, I do that. Oh, no, we are related. (laughs) Is that what that looks like? I think this was a moment of Genkins going, oh, so that's what that feels like. Oh, yeah, okay, I got to pull the rug out from under her. I've definitely had more than one instance of doing something and and then going, Oh, I totally picked that up from ex-parent. <laughs> like, like, oh, that's totally something my mom does. Or, oh, my God, I just did what my dad does. Okay. <laughs> Never quite, I'm becoming my mother, but one of those, like, yeah, I see where that little behavioral bit came from. If it's phrasing or a particular action or an approach to a problem, it's just like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that's why. So, yeah, I can definitely see this being just, all right, this is what it sounds like from the other side. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, maybe I'm giving Genkins more credit than he deserves, but I legit think that he was on the fence before she she sort of put her foot in her mouth. I don't know. (laughs) I, I think he was on the fence before that final moment. And I think he was already there, and that was just the final nail in the coffin. Either way, it is a thing and it occurs. So he basically waltzes out after making an innuendo and says, oh, listen to me, I've been spending too much time with Donut. And then a line that we both missed the first time we were watching this, I really like Donut. (laughs) Just, (laughs) I love that guy. guy. (laughs) Just this complete off the cuff. I bet he improvised that and they kept it. It's one of those moments where the bad guy goes, we're not so different, you and I. <laughs> Which is the quintessential bad guy phrase. Like when they go, oh, we're not so different. Like, oh, and that's how you immediately know that they are full of shit and trying to manipulate you. Got it. But again, I love that this comes on the heels of that conversation with Donut. Because I don't think Genkins would have gotten the idea to steal Krovos's power had it not been for Donut going, hey, I get it, man. I've been there. Like, 
it, it, it astounds me that like Genkins was just kind of going along with this because I think he just kind of liked going along for the ride. And it was Donut that made him realize, no, there's another way. So of course he's going to be like, I love you, Donut. That was amazing. Well, and I think he was also feeling pretty beaten down after getting beaten at literally every turn and all of his hard work being undone. Like, he loved what he did, and then what he did didn't matter, and he started getting lambasted for it. So then, we cut to the scene, and it's overly dramatic, and we have an abbreviated Christ pose from Wash, and everyone's there to watch, and it's just like, yep, yep, layer on the drama, and then time stops with the bullet spinning in midair. And I just had this this Hamilton moment of that final shot of, I, yeah, I've imagined death so much it feels more like a memory, <laughs> with the bullet slowly crossing the stage. And everyone who hasn't seen the stage version is like, what the fuck are you talking about? <sighs> Would that make it bullet time? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> You're smiling. You're smiling. I'm not proud of what I have become. You should be. And that is all I have to say. <laughs> that made me very happy. Thank you. So Gankins shows up, showboats. Well, if you feel like you can't breathe, it's because I paused this little moment in time and I'm going to go and fuck up everything and then come back and fuck up you. Like, great. Great. Gods can't harm Shiznos, but um, that won't necessarily stop him from dropping them into a lava pit, which can harm them. It's like you can't directly kill someone, but you can definitely knock them off a building. Although we've discovered that doesn't kill Doc, so uh, who even knows? Who even knows? But we end this episode with the time freeze and just the maniacal laugh. Which is an excellent cliffhanger. I love, I do love the shot of the bullet just falling out of the air to the ground. It's so, so good. Um, and yeah, I mean, it might have been a little overly dramatic with Wash walking out into the firefight. Honestly, but like... If I was walking into a room knowing I was going to get shot, I'd probably be a little dramatic, too. Um, but, I mean, we as the audience are prepping for it. We're waiting for it to happen. So the fact that Genkin steps in and goes, no, 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 not yet. It's even more devastating because we we still feel like it has to happen eventually. And we're like, just rip the Band-Aid off already. And he's like, no, I'm not done yet. So it's even more devastating. Because Gankins is a dick. But again, the fact that he has frozen all of them there in this moment, which makes me realize it is a time-based recreation of the murder fridge. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the fact that it's a recreation of this makes me think that, again, it's our operatives who aren't stuck in this moment who are going to have to fix it. Namely, Lopez and possibly Huggins. And Doc, yeah. Uh, I do love I do love the idea of Wash and Carolina in this moment going, Not again! <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you're 100% on point with that prediction. Yeah, I feel like it's our 
tertiary characters c team uh, what what would we refer to them as the floaters they're all at sea level eh <laughs> yeah eh. let us know what you guys think we should call team doc and lopez and huggins <laughs> i guess that's who we're counting on right neapolitan it's pink, brown, and light colored. We'll go with white. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Team Neo. And if there's one thing about rooster teeth related stuff, I know it's that I can always get behind Team Neo. It's that Neo is a fucking badass. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think you're absolutely right in terms of like they're going to be the disruptive sort of elements that Genkins isn't anticipating. The spanner in the works, if you will. Ooh, I like that. Uh, so yeah, I, I concur. Do you have any other predictions or are we sticking with that one? Maybe, um, maybe Muggins comes in, but I don't know. I feel like most of the, the things that I could throw out there as potential, like, oh, this could change, you know, this could be a game changer, all basically come out of nowhere. I think think you hit the nail on the head the only other thing I could think of is like oh you know we want it I want more with Locust this season but Locust is in this moment and he's frozen so it's not like his dark paladin quest is going to lead him out of time to this moment where there are like two of him or that he becomes aware and is able to move around no we're going to get more with Locust, I think, in a later season. This season isn't about him. I, at least I hope we do. But, yeah, most of my most of the things that I could throw out there as possibilities would be right out of nowhere. So, yeah, no, no predictions. And, I mean, we had that interview with Joe at RTX this past year asking what some of the other story hooks were that Griff was avoiding. And he mentioned Locust being on trial on Chorus. Because you can't just show up with a dude and admit him to the hospital when you're a war criminal on that planet without there being consequences. So if we do get more of Locust, it might well be in that particular context. And that will be interesting. It just reminds me of that interview with Shannon after season six where they were like what so what do you think is gonna happen with agent washington well i think he's gonna be rewarded for all of his hard work nah he's going to jail what <laughs> so what do you think is gonna happen with uh locust well obviously he's got a long road to redemption but i think he's gonna do everything he can to try to help the people in this world nah he's going to jail what <laughs> I mean, he managed that paladin quest for about a season, and then I, I seriously want, like, the season or the web series or the minisodes or whatever it is with Locus's dark paladin quest. Like, give me that shit. Vengeance paladin, he has Hunter's Mark. I think on, sorry, I, I know bringing up Locus was like a total tangent, so I apologize. It's fine. But I think that Lopez at... Er, Lopez. Oh my god. <laughs> I think Locus. <laughs> Let me start that again. I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> I think Locus, as we know him right now, being put on trial, I think he'd be the type of person who, to accept the consequences of his action and to 100% accept 
whatever judgment the court lays upon him. On the other hand, I also understand. I don't know what his dark paladin quest had in store for him. I also see him as the type of person to go, I know I did bad things and I accept the consequences of those things, but I can't face justice just yet because I have more work to do to make amends and making his escape that way. Yeah, he pretty much made that point at the end of season 13. Like, if I'm going to make amends, I can't do it from a prison cell. So, uh, bye, Felicia. So, yeah, that... That would be interesting. I don't think that's going to come down this season, obviously, because we got all this other stuff to deal with. And we have, again, if we have 12 or 13 episodes in this season, we have three or four episodes left. And considering that they've been averaging between 12 and 15 minutes, that is not a lot of time to fix time. So, on that note, I think it's also time for us to wander off so uh megan where can the people find you i'm running out of time i'm running out of time uh anyway <laughs> um but in the meantime you can uh follow me on twitter and instagram at the Menguin. that's t-h-e-m-e-n-g-u-i-n i am also on a lost retrospective podcast called no love lost where my co-host will link loves lost and i don't and we talk about it and I'm Katie. You can follow me all over the social medias as well as YouTube and Twitch at Kiaxe. That is K-I-A-X-E-T. If you like reaction videos to Rooster Teeth stuff, they live there. I am also on a podcast called On The Point. It is an Overwatch and Overwatch League podcast, and we are having all sorts of fun talking about Stage 2 and making predictions for the finals and the All-Star Game and all that fun stuff. So check that out. If you are enjoying this, if you want to hear more of the crazy stuff that we do, anchor.fm slash the rooster team. That is where we have all of our stuff. We have Gen Lockdown, which was our Gen Lock um, production show thing that we did and enjoyed. We have Ruby. We're going to gear up for Camp Camp in just a few weeks. And of course, we have our Ruby and Night Vale crossover creation, Welcome to Vale. So be sure to check all of that fun stuff out. Follow us on Twitter at The Rooster Team, on YouTube at The Rooster Team, on TeePublic at The Rooster Team, all of it at The Rooster Team, because we firmly believe in branding. And if you want to support us, supporting our sponsor does that. So head over to fredsbs.com, that is F-R-E-D-S-B-S.com, and use coupon code THEROOSTERTEAM for 20% off your entire order. Thanks for listening, you guys. We'll see you in the Everwen. Thank you.